brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Courtney Kardashian and Travis Barker just got married. So weird. Uh, I mean, I guess. So I, I'm glad that you're here, Lauren, because... <laughs> as, the, as the Heritage Foundation's Kardashian expert. Expert, yeah. So Lauren does keep up with the Kardashians. I, I don't. So Lauren, this wedding was in Italy. Uh, did, did you get an invite? Uh, you know, it was. I moved like a year ago. I'm uh-huh. sure it just went to my older dress. Yeah, I got lost in the mail. Yeah. I mean, you were like out on Monday. I figured, you know, yeah, you were just, just coming back, coming back from Italy, <laughs> coming back from the wedding. I don't know. I, I mean, I support it. A, they're the same age. They're within a couple of years of one another, which for the Kardashians is... <laughs> That's a big deal for I the mean, Kardashians. <laughs> well, and two, Travis Barker was the drummer for Blink-182, I believe. I think that's right. Yeah. I, I should... Uh, as, he looks like a drummer. As someone who graduated high school in 2009, I should definitely know that. But <laughs> it is it is very odd. It kind of seems like one of those alphabet soup of celebrity relationships, but they seem to make each other happy and their their kids seem to all get along. I I have to say, we all know that I'm a big Kanye fan, but I'm, the the Kardashian kind of charm is really starting to to fade. Yeah, and I, it just might be something about this like new Hulu version of the Kardashians. You're not like, about it. I liked it when it was on E and Kendall and Kylie were like 12 years old and running around, but now it just seems like they're all the same person. Like they all look exactly alike. Yeah, and they have. Literally the most first world problems, and it was funny at first, but now you're like, I saw you freak out about a party last episode. Why should I care about this episode? And I don't know. I It's a lot of adult drama. Yeah, and like the Kim and Pete Davidson thing, it's just a little too weird for me. Mm-hmm. And then like this whole Kanye Pete Davidson thing, it just seems sad on both their sides where I, I don't really think... Kim is good for Pete Davidson because he's kind of this, I don't know, he seems like he's in a whole different season of life than Kim. But then Kanye like really stoops down to a really immature, I don't know. <laughs> wow. The, the Kardashians have opinions. Are, yeah. <laughs> I guess I have a lot of opinions. You do. The Kardashians are losing one of their biggest fans in Lauren. I uh, you mean, know, you know, I'm still I'm still here. I'm still if I if it comes up, I'm going to click on the link just because I'm curious. But, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, even I click on that. Yeah. Well, it was Pete Davidson's funny. last week on SNL this week. Oh, wow. And he had like a really funny opening to his like goodbye rant. He was like, I know everybody's just tuning in to see how I'm going to diss Kanye. <laughs> I that was really Not funny. wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, enough with the Kardashians. Maybe I'll put a poll on Instagram of like who actually keeps up with the Kardashians. I know we had a really light intro, but we really are going to delve into some serious topics. There was the shooting in Texas this week. We're going to take some time to. Reflect on school shootings that we've covered as the Daily Signal, and we're going to bring on uh, special guest Kelsey Bowler, who's actually traveled with us to those school shootings. Plus, we bring you a couple newsworthy viral videos and discuss how moderates in the center left might be waking up to the harms of gender identity ideology. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. 
21 people were killed at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas on Tuesday. 19 students and two teachers. And it's really unfortunate. It seems like the count keeps rising. Mm -hmm. The gunman is also dead. He was shot and killed by a nearby Border Patrol agent who was responding to the scene. We're seeing pictures and video across the news, social media, moms, fathers, sisters, friends, uncles, so many people in that community all consoling one another outside the school um, at the Civic Center there in the community. It's just heartbreaking to watch these images. And uh, we talked a little bit during the intro about this tragedy, but, you know, we we really want to explain what this is like, kind of give you a little bit of a picture into like what this is actually like for the folks on the ground, what they're experiencing. And our good friend, Kelsey Bowler, who's a senior policy analyst at Independent Women's Forum, is here with us today to talk about that. She has actually, with Lauren, um, gone to the scene of uh, multiple uh, of these school shootings. She's gone after the fact and talked with students, talked with those who were present um, and who survived and just gotten their their thoughts and heard their stories. So, Kelsey, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I wish it were on a better note, but uh, I'm happy to be with you guys and share our experiences in covering these tragedies. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. And Lauren, for both you and Kelsey, Mm -hmm. so you have gone to three of these cities that have experienced these atrocities of mass school shootings. Talk a little bit about like where you all have been and then um, what's it like just talking with individuals who have been through something so horrific. Kelsey, let's start with you. And then Lauren, I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, it struck me uh, watching the news unfold this week that I have been to so many different locations where these mass school shootings have happened that I, I didn't even remember them all off the top of my head. And that tells you a lot. Um, the Daily Signal has played a unique role in covering these horrific tragedies. Unlike a lot of the media, which rushes in and, you know, does a lot of reporting for a week or two weeks or three weeks, you know, we, we hold back, uh, we let the facts unfold. And in time, we follow up with the victims and the community to see how they're recovering and to uh, talk about the actual policies they believe uh, could have and should have prevented these atrocities. And I think that's important to note because we don't know the facts of what happened this week yet. We don't know why an 18-year-old gunman uh, was able to enter this school and murder so many innocent children. And in order to have that policy conversation, we need those facts. But first and foremost, we need to allow these local communities to heal, to honor and to mourn those who were lost. That that needs to be what we allow them to do first. I understand thoughts and prayers are not enough. I agree with that sentiment. But we need to allow them to have thoughts and prayers. We need to express to them our thoughts and prayers. Uh, before we jump to conclusions about what could have and should have happened to prevent this. Uh, Families and communities are suffering. I can only imagine what they're experiencing right now. And sadly, um, the scars are going to be with them for a lifetime. That 
been very clear um, when Lauren and I have been traveling the country, going to different communities and talking to those who have been directly affected yeah. by these atrocities. Yeah, Kelsey, that is such a great point because that's exactly what I wanted to say. All these communities, all these people, it's almost eerily normal. But at the same time, when you take a minute and you start to pull back that curtain and you just see the hurt that, that they have and how an event like this, while, you know, it might only take minutes, but it really just changes these people's lives forever. And there, there's always something in them that they that it's really broken that our society can do this to other human beings and that there are people out there that do this to other human beings. But in every one of these stories, there's always on the other side, people coming together and trying to find a solution and trying to make their community better and trying to heal their community. And I'm glad that the Daily Signal is able to fill this role where we're, we don't show up while the bodies are still warm. We we take the time, we let the the community have their space, and then we go and we're able to really tell their stories and, and showcase their viewpoints in a, a really fair way because I think the media just wants to go in there and tell their narrative. And even last night, within a couple hours, Biden was already on the news talking about uh, how this is a gun issue and we want to take people's guns away. And really, when one of the most horrific things that we can think about, uh, I mean, you even just walk by a TV with the news on and you just see these families grieving. And when you think about these incidents in high school and incidents in movie theaters. I mean, it, it is tragic to think of any adult losing their lives to this senseless violence, but I just think there's another layer to it that somebody could look a child in the eyes and do this to them. It is it is evil that is unfathomable. And uh, yeah, it just, I think of all these people and all these people who have who've survived and are able to tell their story from, there were, we interviewed a teacher from Parkland who she was the only teacher to not lose any students in her class. Mm. Um, and it's because she had um, a little extra training and kind of a, a sixth sense to know to not let her kids out for that when the fire alarm was pulled or the student who had lost her brother and then her town flooded and now in Santa Fe there was a school shooting and she just seeing her go through so much and still be able to put a smile on her face. It really is inspiring. So while it is really hard and really heavy to cover these, it does help kind of, A, elevate these people's opinions and, and viewpoints, and also try to really show the humanity that comes out in these terrible situations. Yeah, well, I think, Lauren and Kelsey, you all have done such a good job of that, of trying to show that humanity of these individuals. I, I want to play a quick clip of the documentary that you all produced from your trip to Santa Fe. Uh, there was a shooting there, Lauren, as you mentioned, 2018, 10 lives were lost. And this is one of the students, Grace Johnson, talking a little about, about what she saw and experienced that day. I heard some commotion in the hallway. I thought there was a fight going on and I'm nosy. <laughs> and when I walked out, I saw like a bunch of people like screaming. And then um, I heard a really loud noise. And that's when I saw somebody go down. I don't know if it was a kid, I don't know if it was a teacher, but somebody fell. So gosh, as as we reflect on what just happened in Uvalde, Texas, on former instance like what happened in Santa Fe, you know, what what would be kind of your your thoughts for us, Lauren and Kelsey, for how we can be 
processing through this, this whole issue. And, you know, we're hearing politicians make claims about what needs to happen right now. And there, obviously there's debates and all of these things. But but what needs to be our position at this moment? Our position needs to be to let them mourn and mm-hmm. honor the lives lost. That needs to happen. Sadly, I do feel an obligation to push back against uh, the politics that I see people engaging in. Um, Of course, there are a lot of calls for gun control, um, gun laws by our president, as um, you you guys mentioned, and of course, by, you know, everyday people. I'm sure you guys see it. I see it all over my social media. Um, You know, everyone's demanding uh, gun reform. And I don't even think it's appropriate to uh, to get into the weeds of what policies could or should have prevented this until we know the facts and until we give these communities time to heal. But the one thing I have made a point to share with people is that not everyone's idea of a solution looks the same. Mm-hmm. And we as a society in mourning need to make space for that that discussion for the many different uh, reasons why local communities feel that these atrocities were enabled to happen. And what was particularly sad about the Santa Fe shooting, you'll notice that Santa Fe does not get mentioned nearly as much as a lot of the other school shootings. Um, but the Santa Fe shooting was extremely tragic, extremely mm. traumatic for those who went through it. And, uh, you know, what we heard Grace Johnson uh, tell us in spending time with her was that, you know, she thinks the reason that we don't talk about Santa Fe often is because that community did not directly blame the gun. Mm -hmm. They blamed the individual holding the gun. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when the local community, the individuals directly affected, didn't support the establishment media's narrative, of what causes school shootings and what can be done to prevent school shootings, the media kind of quietly goes away. Yeah. And no matter the position of the, those who are directly affected in um, this elementary school shooting, which I agree is even more horrific um, because of the ages of the children involved, we need to create space and listen to those who are hurting right now and hear what they think could have and should have prevented this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's appropriate for us today on this podcast to get into the nitty gritty of, you know, what we support, what we don't support. Um, but I think we all need to prepare as a society, as communities to be open to a broad discussion of the many factors that enable uh, this evil to take place. That's what I'm trying to communicate personally to people. Um, that there are many, there are many issues at play here. There are many things we need to address. I hope some of them, uh, we can unite, uh, bipartisan members of Congress can formulate legislation that we all can support. Um, but 
you know, we need to be open to diverse perspectives. Yeah, absolutely, Kelsey. That's so, so critical. And I think that that reminder to think about the people who have been affected. Kelsey, really appreciate you taking a few minutes today to join us. Um, But stick around for our audience, because up next, we're going to be talking a little bit about Americans who are losing their mind over the transgender craze and some who are maybe beginning to embrace a little bit of common sense on this issue. But first, if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and want to find other like-minded podcasts, look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast production of the Independent Women's Forum. Every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you the facts on the issues that matter most. From the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between, She Thinks has you covered. And if you can't wait for the next episode to drop, you can listen to past episodes on IWF.org or search for She Thinks on your favorite podcast app. Some Americans are losing their minds over the transgender issue, and maybe others are waking up to the reality of just a little bit of the craziness of what it actually means to let kids, quote unquote, transition genders. Uh, So let's first talk a little bit about some of the craziness in the transgender conversation that we've seen just this week. Our friends over at the lips of TikTok on Twitter recently shared a video of a male teacher who identifies as female talking about how his students help affirm his gender identity. Roll the clip. So today was full of little happy gender euphoria moments. I got called Mr. Micah a lot today. Well, completely femme. And that was really heartwarming that the kids just got it. But my favorite reaction, and it sums me up so well, I feel like, is uh, I was in a new classroom and I took off my mask to blow my nose and I just hear a kid loudly whisper, oh, she's a boy. And I was like, yeah, you got it, kid. You totally got it. So for those listening, this is a male with a beard who looks to be wearing some sort of dress. We only kind of see his shoulders, uh, has blush on, and is talking about how happy he was that a preschool student said of him, quote, she's a boy. I mean, I think this is like obviously troubling at the fact that kids are in school and um, adults are confusing them on what gender is and that for for the sake, essentially, of affirming adults and for adults who are confused about their gender to feel comfortable in who they are, we're allowing kids to be confused on something that is so foundational as are you a boy or a girl? Yeah, it's it's so crazy. And the fact that you, let's say this person really is transgender, right? Why in the world would you need a child to affirm this for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think it just shows that they are so lacking that self-confidence that and maybe they they know they can't get it from other adults because this person looks crazy, right? Yeah. Like they yeah. they look I mean, you have a beard but you're wearing blush. It's just it does not it is not a, an attractive person and uh, so you're not going to find an adult who's going to affirm you besides maybe like a very small corner of the internet who's like, uh-huh. "Yes, queen." But <laughs> 
So then you have to like rely on children mm-hmm. to do this for you. When you remember, like children will believe what you tell them. Exactly. They, exactly. And our kids deserve to be protected. And school is where we send them to learn such foundational things. Like what are the differences between men and women? And that those that there are healthy differences and that's okay. And those differences are to be celebrated. And that it, like, you know, it's okay if a girl wants to play with boy toys or, or whatever. Like those things are fine. But to literally have a child saying, oh, she's a boy. Gosh, how confusing is that for yeah. a kid? And disturbing as a parent to think like, okay, I could be sending my kid to school and not realizing that they're exposed to these things. Well, and the left gets so mad when you use the phrase almost jokingly, you know, okay, groomer. That's playing off the, the joke of okay, boomer. Mm-hmm. But that's really what they're doing. They might not be grooming these children to sexually exploit them themselves, but they are... They're, they're preying on how these children are so naive and will, they will believe what the adult says and they will just kind of go along and say, okay, yeah. And and they are trying to s- separate the child from their parents mm-hmm. so they can kind of put this, this new worldview on these children. And I mean, this is the oldest play in, a, in the book when it comes to leftists. I mean, when you, when you look at communist societies, they want to take away religion and they want to relo- remove the family unit. And this is what they're trying to do. They want to try to separate these children from their families. And instead of having their own families and trying to teach these own kids, own, their own children this, they're trying to pray and separate children from their parents. So it is, you almost want to put an asterisk by the OK Groomer because you don't want to, these people to be called basically, you know, sexual predators. But in a way, they are trying to indoctrinate these children sexually in a way that is inappropriate for both their age, but also for their role in this child's life. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and now we're even seeing, as in the video we're going to talk about in just a second, that this is even now infiltrating whole families. Yeah. Virginia, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Lives of TikTok also shared this video of a trans queer dad, quote unquote, who is raising money for their child to start taking puberty blockers. They say their child has been diagnosed with gender dysphoria and needs to begin taking puberty blockers ASAP, which will cost about $2,000 a year. Um, I have already exhausted most of my funds. I need help. I want to raise money to help cover his transition-related costs as, um, it's very difficult to come out with that sort of money on short notice. So this parent is asking others to help pay for his child to not go through puberty, which <laughs> it's just, I mean, Virginia. I mean, the, the thing is that it was not very long ago that people, if if this video had gone out, if for I mean, I guess not that very long ago, we didn't have video. But, you know, back in the day, someone writes a, an ad in the newspaper, right? And it's like, my child doesn't like the body that they're in. So we're going to keep them from going through purity until they can figure out which body they want to be in. People would have said, that's child abuse. Yeah. Like, it's total insanity. It's child abuse. And now what you have is you have people commenting on this video on TikTok, on Twitter, you know, saying, oh, you know, we support this. We're going to send money, celebrating it, saying it's a good thing. We we don't know the age of this child, but if they haven't gone through puberty, that means uh, they're probably under the age of 12 and their brain is far from being fully developed. Um, and obviously they're being heavily exposed with a parent in the household who identifies as transgender and queer. That's the atmosphere they're growing up in. And it's so normal for kids to mirror Kids want to be like their parent. 
Um, and so for this child, it's probably thinking, well, one way to be accepted, to be loved, to be special, to be special is to decide that I'm going to transition. And just tragic that this is the message that we're sending to kids that in order to, to fit in, to be special, to be seen, to receive love at any level, that you have to have to do that in order to be fully accepted. So the the fact that this parent wants to put their child in a box so quickly and to potentially harm their body for the rest of their lives and make them infertile based off of the way that they feel about themselves, I think is a toxic and B, I mean, if you, if there was a father who was a football player and they wanted to give their 12 year old steroids to be a great football player, we wouldn't be pro that. We would say no. The way this has become a third rail issue on the left of you have to support this or else you don't support this person's identity. I'm really grateful for accounts like libs of TikTok as much as you don't want to kind of pick out one story, but it is important for the American people to see like this isn't just a flag that you you fly at a brewery like this is really affecting people and children. Well, and the fact is this um, this parent says that their child has been diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Well, science backs the fact that the vast majority, you know, it's thought to be probably around in, you know, in somewhere in the 90 percentile grow out of gender dysphoria, that that's a phase kids go through. But the fix of that is puberty itself, is Mm. letting a kid actually go through puberty, have all the hormones. And as a result of that, then they get to a place where they can be comfortable in their own body. So by blocking puberty, you're just extending this period of that kid feeling uncomfortable, likely experiencing anxiety, depression, all of the negative side effects that we repeatedly see that people like Abigail Schreier talk about when you block a natural process like puberty in a child. Um, so, And it doesn't have any benefits. It's not right. like if you block puberty in a young girl that you'll be able to sexually make her into a man when she's older. And, and I think a lot of the people don't really understand how these work. And it really just kind of damages your reproductive organs that, that you are born with. And then it even almost makes it harder if you were to go th- through with that gender transition surgery. Yeah. There are there's lasting effects, and if you look at the websites that really promote and um, endorse transgenderism, and they kind of they have that question asked over and over, like you know, are there long term negative effects to puberty blockers? And you know, they all came no, you know, there are. You can't um, put chemicals in your body to stop a natural process and not have there be some sort of negative lasting result. Um, but the good news is that it seems like. Maybe some people in in the center of the aisle, moderates, maybe those who are just you know left of center, they're starting to wake up to this transgender agenda and say, wait a second, uh, I'm not sure that this is a wise path that we are going down. Problematic Women co-host Kelsey Bowler sent me this video of props Bill- to Kelsey. <laughs> Always props to Kelsey. But it's a video of Bill Maher. He's a comedian. He's been in the game for a long time. He has his own show on HBO called Real Time with Bill Maher. He is in no way or shape a conservative. But I will say he thinks a little bit more independently than those on the left. 
And this week on his show, he really had some great things to say. And like so many comedians, he's really using humor in a way to make people stop and think about Mm. an important issue. And in this case, it's that of gender identity ideology. Um, And it's growing at such a rapid rate in kids, in in young people. We're seeing so many young people begin to identify as LGBTQ. Um, So we want to share this clip with you all from his show this week. And finally, new rule, if something about the human race is changing at a previously unprecedented rate, we have to at least discuss it. Broken down over time, the LGBT population of America seems to be roughly doubling every generation. According to a recent Gallup poll, less than 1% of Americans born before 1946, that's Joe Biden's generation, identify that way. 2.6% of boomers do. 4.2% of Gen X, 10.5% of Millennials, and 20.8% of Gen Z. Which means if we follow this trajectory, we will all be gay in 2054. So the full video is 10 minutes long. encourage you, go watch the whole thing. It's great. Um, We're going to play another clip in just a minute. But the point he is making is that we should consider the role culture is playing here. That it's, it's a trend in many ways, almost like... Being hipster used to be cool. I don't really think being hipster is cool anymore. I don't know. It was cool when I was in college. You're wearing hipster glasses. I guess so. I don't know. Am I? Are these hipster glasses? I don't know. (laughs) I guess I should post a picture so (laughs) listeners can see the glasses I'm wearing. Um, They just tell me, see? So, uh, you know, when, when we think about, like, how much trends come and go, it's a little disturbing if gender identity ideology is a trend, but it's a trend that's causing people to mutilate their bodies. Mm. That well, goes it, uh, way beyond just, you know, wearing skinny jeans uh, and drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, Abigail Schreier brought, brought this up. It, she calls it a social contagion. Mm. In the 90s, it was bulimia that was a big issue with especially young girls. And then if you go into the 2000s, it was cutting. And now it's this trans thing. And it's, there's a, always seems to be a need with young girls who struggle with kind of who they are as a person, maybe they struggle with their feelings, that they need a way to, A, externalize those feelings, and then also to get the gratification from those that they admire from them. Mm-hmm. And if you look at all those things throughout the years, that's really how kids did it. And it's really just this kind of next step. But I would say the difference between as, as terrible as bulimia and cutting are, and if anybody of our listeners struggle with that, make sure that you get the help. I'm not in any way diminishing uh, your struggles, but it does not affect your body forever. Yeah. You can always try to eat more and you can always kind of let those wounds heal, but this is something that could make you infertile and change your entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why this social contagion in this generation is so much scarier than those previous generations. Yeah. Well, and I think when you kind of look, stop and look at the roots, Lauren, I, I think it does go back to, like we've seen in previous generations, a, a lot of these self-harming fads, honestly, mm-hmm. that pop up in younger generations. It's often driven by things that young adults do experience, like anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And today, that's just so much more heightened, I think, because of social media. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to fall into comparison trap. And, you know, the she has this and I don't have this. And people can make their lives look so great just with filters. And just the the amount even of content that we intake every day, we're so overstimulated in our culture, which scientists say now data shows actually does create more anxiety that we're not meant to be as stimulated as we are now 
So I think all of these things are kind of compounding and leading in some ways, sadly, playing a role in driving this gender identity ideology. And you hear story after story. There's these young women who get caught up in this craze in their mid to late teens and they get in their 20s and, they, you know, they mutilate themselves by, you know, chopping off their breasts and or going through some sort of plastic surgery and they get to their early 20s and they kind of get out of this fog and realize that this isn't what they wanted for their lives. And so they start the process of detransitioning. And these people who have been around them, supporting them for, you know, the past five years, who are saying, we, we want to love you and accept you for who you are, then you come out and you say who you are, and then they turn their backs on, mm-hmm. on these people immediately. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why you're finding these kind of de-trans people that are really starting to form communities online, and you're really starting to hear their story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is so powerful. So later in the clip, Bill Maher really discusses this topic of what does culture play in this conversation, and he raised a really interesting question. If you attend a small dinner party of typically very liberal upper income Angelinos, it is not uncommon to hear parents who each have a trans kid having a conversation about that. What are the odds of that happening in Youngstown, Ohio? If this spike in trans children is all natural, why is it regional? Either Ohio is shaming them or California is creating them. So, Virginia, what do you think? Either Ohio is shaming them or California is creating them. (laughs) I love that point because I think it's true. You have to be practical and look at the data. And it's like, well, this doesn't add up. It's one or the other. Like either kids in areas that aren't super lefty feel so oppressed that they can't come out and be who they truly are. Or kids are being influenced by their culture and because it's cool and it's the trendy thing to do and you realize that you will be celebrated mm-hmm. if you, you know, come out as trans or queer or whatever, that then you have states like California <laughs> literally producing kids that identify, you know, as something other than mm. just male or female. Well, and I want to follow up, too, on a story we covered last week about the trans garment lines, the undergarment lines mm-hmm. at Target. Mm-hmm. I had to go to Target this morning. I had to. It was the only store that was open at 8 a.m. that had the item that I needed. Uh-huh. And I needed it by 10 o'clock, so I had to get on the way. So I go, you know, just really early. I'm like one of the first people in the store. I walk in. You know, you walk into Target. There's always the Starbucks on the right. Yep. Which, by the way, I spent $11 on a coffee and a sandwich today uh, at Starbucks. So ridiculous. I was already in a bad mood. <laughs> but guess what was the first thing I saw? It was like no. dollar section and... I, I would bet it was a flag. It was one of the like. Oh, it was. Very oh no, it was like uh like a be proud shirt. And again, it's still May. It's not June. Yeah. And then all those binders and transgender swimsuits. Oh like, what do you do right at you, the front? If you bring your child into Target, yeah. you can't. There's Target's not like Walmart where there's two entrances. This is the only way in and out. And. There, there it is. There it is. Right on display. Now you're trying to hide it. Yeah, it's it's in your face now. It's totally in your face. You can't escape it. So, yeah, wow. so I think Bill Maher posed a really interesting question. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's important as society is realizing kind of its, its errors that, that people on both sides of the aisle speak up. It can't just mm-hmm. be a, a, a right-leaning cause because most Americans care about our children and our future. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, like, keeping forefront in mind the fact that truly, I believe, like, at the root of all of this is a lot of broken people that are looking for acceptance and looking for love. And so like our response always has to be one of love and acceptance. Mm. Um, We can rant against the policymakers that are pushing forward 
stuff that, you know, just makes no sense and is harmful to kids. But for those that are, you know, experiencing gender dysphoria and, and our response has to be one of compassion, that's really critical. Well, that was a really fun conversation. We went in a lot of different places. You know what? Let's do it again next yeah. week. Maybe yeah, you think? Yeah, same yeah. time. Okay, great. <laughs> well, stay tuned. We're not done yet. We still have to crown our problematic woman of the week. If you're tired of high taxes, fewer health care choices, and bigger and bigger government, it's time to partner with the most impactful conservative organization in America. We're the Heritage Foundation, and we're committed to solving the issues America faces. Together, we'll fight back against the rising tide of homegrown socialism, and we'll fight for conservative solutions that are making families more free and more prosperous. But we can't do it without you. Please join us at Heritage.org. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to the former Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. We just had the privilege of interviewing Secretary Betsy DeVos, who, how cool is she, when we got on the phone, she's like, just call me Betsy. I know. We're like, oh, we're like, um, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> For the Problematic Woman podcast, we will be sharing the full conversation with the secretary with you on June 14th. So a little bit of a wait, but we wanted to give you a quick teaser today. You might have remembered that last year, when so many parents were going to school board meetings to voice their concerns over the teaching of critical race theory and gender identity, the National School Board Association sent a letter to the Biden administration asking them to investigate these instances as acts of terrorism. Now, we have learned that in one of those draft versions of the letter, it included requests to deploy the Army National Guard and military police to certain school districts. We asked Secretary DeVos what she thought about the National School Board Association considering a request for Army National Guard and military police at some schools. And here's what she said. I I think this is going to continue to force more and more parents to demand that they have the opportunity to control their kids' educational futures. And I think it's it's ultimately going to be good for parents and kids, but it's very painful to see this sort of thing happening at a national level. Huge congratulations to Secretary DeVos, a very deserving problematic woman of the week. She Mm. wears the crown proudly. We should mail her a crown or something. (laughs) Well, and I was thinking the whole time, I mean, she would have never done anything like this, right? Like they would have never suggested that parents were domestic terrorists. But I, I like in the back of my mind just kept thinking, like, can you imagine the scandal that if the Trump administration did anything like one one iota of yeah. what? The double what, standard. The, the double standard. And the fact that she was just so gracious and firm, but, you know, she never she never let the haters get to her, you no. know? Yeah. So that's what we... That's what we love. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Lauren. And You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> this is fun. This yeah. is fun. <laughs> Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition of Problematic Women. And in the meantime, take a minute to subscribe and share. Do it. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week, and we'll see you right back here next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.